Welcome to a new episode of Liftoff, a Jets football podcast, with your hosts, Chris, and from playlikeajet.com, Mr. Sharman Phillip. And remember, you could catch us where you get your podcasts at Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and now also on Amazon. And remember, you could catch us also on Sportswire Radio at sportsanarium.com backslash player. You can follow the station manager there, Thomas Bryce, at Thomas Bryce 2017. And you could follow us on Twitter at Liftoff Jets. You can follow Charmin at Grown Folk 1980. And you can follow myself at CP7NY uh, on Twitter. So, Charmin, what's going on, man? I think we got a guest today. An old friend. Yeah, we got a guest. See, yeah, <laughs> listen, man. I, I, I came back from vacation and I'm like, I got to reach out. To somebody and I know who it is because I haven't, you know, we haven't spoken to this man in a bit in a minute, you know. You know, the notorious BSB breakdowns is in the house, you know. James <laughs> Week House, what's up, brother? <laughs> what's going on, guys? I know this is our third time, uh, third time together. I always love coming on. So thanks for having me. And yeah, I think the last time might have been like right before the draft, I think. So it's been a while since we uh we touched base, but um thanks for having me on. How you guys doing? Good, man. Great to hear yeah. you. Yeah, um very very good are you excited about listen we finally got football last week we had the hall of fame game which is obviously a complete mess usually but uh tonight we got a game and this weekend we got jets yeah it's it's good it's good to be back uh that's for <laughs> sure i have right now in the background i have on new england against the giants and i don't know half of these guys but i just <laughs> for some reason i just can't uh keep my eyes off the tv so yeah no it's great to have football back and um you know for the jets to get started tomorrow night is pretty exciting and you know i know some people don't you know are maybe not fans of the preseason because i don't think it counts but it's kind of, you know, something special, uh, you know, to see guys that are, you know, really fighting for for a job or to make the roster. Um, you know, it's really cool. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to have them back and I can't wait for tomorrow night for uh, for the Jets. And you know what? Real quick, before we get to the Jets, Sharman's got a bunch of questions. I got a bunch of questions. I got mm-hmm. one question before we get to the Jets. There's yeah. this talk now that the Patriots have looked awful in camp offensively. <laughs> it's a complete mess. Do you buy into this? Is is this just because uh, McDaniel left? Uh, what what's going on? Do you think at, at Patriots camp? Yeah. So I mean, if I I try I try I thought about this on my my way home too because um, I have a bunch of you know friends that are Giants fans and and things like that and obviously Joe Judge is over there in in New England now and there was a whole bunch of jokes online about you know Daniel Jones and Joe Judge being back on the same field. But, you know, if you were an organization, you were a fan of an organization and, you know, after the last few years, you know, you're told that the people that are going to run the offense for you are Joe Judge and um, I'm blanking on the other guys, Matt Patricia, uh, Patricia Joe Judge right. and Matt Patricia are going to run your offense. Matt Patricia was a defensive coordinator for the Patriots and then went to Detroit. And then Joe Judge was a special teams guy and then went to the Giants as kind of like almost a motivator. You know, it seemed like a guy who didn't have one side of the ball in mind. Um, So if, you know, you told me that I would probably be pretty nervous about how the offense is going to look all together. And especially when you get rid of or not get rid of or a guy like Josh McDaniels moves moves on to get a head coaching spot. He's been there for so long with Brady. Yeah, things are going to look different. 
you know, does that mean that Mac Jones can't, you know, run the offense the way it's supposed to be and, and ultimately maybe make, you know, everyone else around him feel comfortable, but things are going to be a little bit different over there at Gillette. And so the camp stories, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you, you, you never kind of look back in, in January and be like, Oh, well, we knew this was going to happen because of what happened in that practice in August. But at the same time, um, you know, you, you do get some kind of indication of how things are going to go. And I think the worry there is, how smooth are things going to run on the offensive side of the ball when you have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge kind of teaming up together to to call plays? Yeah, and I, and 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 you know, guys, forgive us for making the Patriots uh, the first con- uh, point of conversation, but <laughs> you know, we're we're linked to the Patriots forever, so it's mm-hmm. it's it's jet stock anyway. Um, I think I think Patriots talk, which is good. Yeah, which is good. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I think the interesting part about about that whole thing, I think the thing that stands out to me is not just the fact that they're, you know, oddball offensive play callers or offensive coaches are going to be, you know, guys that you wouldn't think would be offensive coaches are going to be calling offense. I think the the conversation goes a little deeper for me is that you you're hearing that they're gonna start a, like running the outside zone and and you know and if you look at the guys that they kind of drafted and the guys they've been around and you're seeing they're getting quicker guys and guys that could get get the ball to the outside and you're like wait a minute mm-hmm. what made the Patriots so unique and and almost unbeatable at certain points was the fact that they just did everything different and it, it, it drove everybody nuts. They're like, well, most of the league does this. Why aren't you doing this? You know, we have an answer for those, but we don't have an answer for whatever the hell you're doing now because you're doing things differently. And to, you know, once, you know, once I heard people saying, you know, saying that the patients are going to run more of an outside zone type offense. The first thing I said was, man, listen, this has got to be what the kids say cap <laughs> like this has got to be a straight up line because i would never believe in my in any in any time i don't care what time it is that that bill belichick will all of a sudden become a copycat coach hell no i don't believe that <laughs> yeah and kind of i mean you know you look over the years and brady has been able to obviously mask a lot of things that we're going on there. He's not there anymore. And, you know, I know it's, I think I heard on the radio this morning, it's been three years since they won a playoff game. Um, and, and Rob, Robert Kraft is getting kind of, you know, on edge because I mean, you go 20 years with Brady and he's won, however, you know, many Super Bowls, a handful or whatever it was. And, um, yeah, so, you know, now you don't really have some of those guys that, you know, mass the, the deficiencies, maybe, uh, you know, whether it's on the offense or the defense, now they lose uh, JC Jackson who went over to San Diego. So, you know, that's a guy who got his hands on a lot of footballs, um, last season at least. And so, yeah, things are changing and it's going to be a matter of whether or not they have, you know, some guys that can mask those deficiencies. I mean, they're paying their wide receiver core. I think it's like $70 million. Um, it's the most money, um, you know, allocated to a wide receiver core in the entire NFL. So um, they're getting paid like they should be able to mask them, but who knows if they'll actually be able to. Good question. Good question, man. But you know what? We're not here for that. Uh, we're here <laughs> for Jets stuff. And I mean, we got to start the conversation with a, a pretty sad, you know, uh, part 
of uh, Jets offseason, um, the uh, Mekhi Becton injury. Um, I, I mean, that was that was so crazy because after this kid had gotten pounded by the media, getting pounded pounded by certain you know percent a certain percentage of Jets fans, he showed up like literally like this kid showed up because when he when he walked into uh you know one jets drive he didn't look anything like people had been talking about him looking like you know he looked like he was ready he looked like he was coming to, he was you know he, he was about to give people the business and i think i think that you calmed all the noise cut through all the stupid you know talk and you know kind of got people back to being hey man this is jets football let's you know this kid could you know be a, a ultimately a big part of what the Jets are moving forward. And for him to get his in, an injury like that is ridiculous for me. What was your take on not only him getting injured, but, you know, not, not talking about how the Jets are going to answer it, but just that, that moment for you, you know, what was your, your feeling? Yeah, it's a it's a gut it's a gut punch because I mean you're right. So obviously he was he started out on the left side and they were going to move him over to the right side. That's where he was all camp. Um, the off season, you know, I guess mentally was rough for him because yeah, I mean you, you open up Twitter and obviously he was a guy who was pretty active on social media, so he's gonna see all of it. And um, you know, I, I don't know how many times you know we had that discussion of okay, you know, are we gonna you know should we trade Makai before the draft and draft a guy like Aquanu at four or um, you know, not really being so much of putting trust into Makai uh, going into the off season and we should have that backup plan already ready. Um, and so it was a gut punch because, you know, the guy obviously works hard, but you also, we also knew what he could be because it's not like a guy who hasn't played football for the jets at all. His rookie year, you're looking and you're like, all right, this guy has all pro potential at the left tackle position. So now, you know, we're thinking we don't have to worry about that spot for the next, maybe hopefully 10 years or, or so. And so for him personally, it's really tough because he just missed an entire year. Um, and it was an injury. My argument during the off season as to why we shouldn't have been too worried is the way he got hurt against Carolina was, I think it was Greg Van Rotten kind of fell right into the, into the back of his leg. And that's just an unfortunate situation that happened it wasn't anything um yes. you know that he could have actually really prevented or done differently it's just the way the chips fell on that play um and so I was like you know what he's going to come back healthy he's going to come back fine and you're right you mentioned it he he showed up to the first day of camp and he looked fantastic you know there was all the you know is he 400 pounds is he you know is he doing this is he doing that um but ultimately he came to camp looking like he was in shape and ready to go um, and so it was a, it was a gut, gut punch for us because once again, we get to this point and we lose, um, you know, a, a, someone that's going to be a real big contributor uh, to the roster, but you feel for him mostly like Robert Sala said, as a person, because we do dehumanize these guys. We just think that they exist when you turn your television on, on Sundays, <clears throat> and then, you know, they don't have a family to go home to. And obviously Makai is, uh, you know, a brand new dad. 
Um, so I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of difficulty with that as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a gut punch. I, I, it's one of those things that you remember where you were when Carl Lawson news came through and then you're like, all right, now I remember where I was when the Makai Becton news came through. So, um, you know, you feel for the guy, but I think Robert Sala did say it best and, you know, his story is not over. Yeah, sure. We're going to have to, you know, go with the contingency plan for now, but we're not just going to toss him to the side and, and forget about him. And, and I think that's how all Jeff fans should kind of look at Makai and, and just hope he comes back healthy next year. What's your thoughts on uh, Dwayne Brown, the guy that they signed? It had to happen. Um, it had to happen because I know everyone was getting all giddy over the, the Max Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, he, I think he was the, I think he was a fourth round draft pick for us this past year. I think it was a fourth round. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, cause Robert Sala had had good words to say for him and yeah, I'm sure he's doing a nice job in camp, but you know, some of that is also, you're not going to throw your fourth round rookie under the bus if he's struggling in front of the entire media, especially in New York. Um, you know, so some of that is probably encouragement as well. But the move had to happen because one, Dwayne Brown, he's a veteran. He's been there before. He knows, he knows, he knows the deal. Um, you know, obviously he's a little bit older, but you know, Pro Bowler last year. I, I mean, I can't say I looked into his tape or anything. I don't really watch Seattle Seahawks football. Um, I, maybe all Jeff fans probably, we know why we don't watch Seattle all that much. But um, ultimately, you had to get that veteran presence in there because the most important thing is Zach Wilson. Um, and so whatever you had to pay him, I know we were all waiting for the number to come through in terms of what we were going to pay Dwayne Brown. That number was irrelevant because the um, the main goal is keep number two on his feet. Um, and so for Dwayne Brown, he's going to help us kind of hopefully soften the blow of losing Makai Becton, at least for this year. And who knows, maybe next year as well, because it's a two-year deal. Yeah, I, um, I spent some time, you know, one of, one of the, you got to follow as a Jets fan, you got to follow um, Jet X, uh, X Factor if you're a Jets fan. You just have to. Um, and Michael Nanya um, wrote a, a piece um, mm-hmm. kind of chronicling uh, um, Brown's uh, numbers for the last couple, I think, the last couple of years. And he, and especially for last year, he, he, you know, his numbers seemed like it was basically kind of, you know, middle, middle, yeah. middle, middle of the ground, you know, middle, uh, you know, I this is how I look at guys, especially in the NFL that have played as long as he has. For me, I think because they've played for that long, man, you're talking about a guy that's been to the Pro Bowl whatever amount of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he could do, he could like kill you or his opponent or the opponent, like basically have like two or three plays where he will like erase you, right? Because mm-hmm. he has had that. You know, he's done it for a long time. The only thing is consistency because he's he doesn't have that young body anymore. So he, right. he can't reach he can't reach into that, you know, that uh, you know, you know, uh that you know, the well of youth, you know, to get to get <laughs> that strength anymore. So he will have these downfalls here and there where his technique is just not enough because whoever he's playing against is a little bit younger or, or mm-hmm. a little bit more spry than he is. And that's how I view it. And in my opinion, to me, that's better than uh, a lot out of offensive linemen could give you. Even even guys that you would say that was average, like you would, the numbers suggest he is, 
wouldn't give you the highs that Dwayne Brown would be able to give. My, you know, but my question is, where do you play him? Because he's he's been a left tackle for a long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's like the well. Now that's the twenty-two million dollar question because that's what we're paying them. Um, <laughs> because you're right, and I thought about this today, and you know, I, I don't have the exact answer, and I don't know if we will for maybe a couple of days, but because he's not going to play tomorrow. Um, but ultimately, it's it's a it, you can make an argument of both ways, um, and you're right. And he did have kind of a middle of the road year last year, and you know, you kind of say Pro Bowl, and Pro Bowl is a um, you know, a little bit of a fan vote or not a little bit. It's mostly a fan vote. I think, like, <laughs> I think Evan Ingram made the pro bowl last year. So, um, oh. you know, but, but he's oh. a, he, the, the exciting Good part one. about the exciting part about the veteran presence though, is, you know, if you th- do throw a guy like Max Mitchell in there, he may be a little deer in the headlights. Right. And so, you know, Dwayne Brown, he's going to have to rely more on his technique than he probably did 10 years ago um, because he was able to have kind of that juice and, and that, you know, maybe a quicker step. But at least he's going to probably do a much better job of communication at the line of scrimmage with whether that's the, the left guard or the right guard or the entire offensive line to kind of get things a little bit more stable, right? If he's, if he's right next to Elijah Vera Tucker, then Elijah Vera Tucker may have an easier job knowing or feel safer knowing, okay, I got Dwayne Brown. He's going to communicate with me. He knows the calls. He's seen everything you can see as a football player. Whereas now if Elijah, Elijah Vera Tucker has Max Mitchell next to him, the responsibility just heightens on Elijah Vera Tucker to make sure that Max Mitchell knows what the, you know, what he's doing, or, you know, he doesn't, you know, just bypass a, uh, you know, a blitzer or whatever it might be, or he's got to pick up, his responsibility. So that part of the veteran presence, I think, I think I definitely understand that he's probably not the Dwayne Brown that he was five years ago. And I don't know if we're going to expect him to be, but at least, you know, Zach, whether whatever side he's on for, for Zach, we kind of know that the communication level, the veteran presence, the um, ability to communicate is going to be there. Um, Now, what side does he play on? So you can make an argument both ways. Um, George Fant, obviously had a great year at left tackle last year, but he's not totally, you know, he's played right tackle before. So he has that experience at right tackle. Whereas Dwayne Brown, he's never, I I don't think he's played a snap in the NFL at right tackle. Um, Yep. Maybe other than maybe some kind of crazy formation that they threw him on the right side, but it's not a, you know, not a thing they did very often. So he played his entire career on the left side. So now it's okay. Do we take the 37 year old, and do we make him just try to learn the right side? And he might be able to because of because of the way that, you know, um, you know, the way he's played over the years and he just kind of understands the position, you know, you know, in, in and out. But ultimately, yeah, you're kind of taking a chance either way. You're taking a chance that George Fant's not as good as of a right tackle as he was at left tackle last year, or you're taking a risk that you just paid Dwayne Brown $22 million and he's not very good at right tackle. Um, and so, I think that's going to be one that the coaching staff is going to have to get right. Um, you know, we're going to have to put our trust in them to, to kind of figure out, because I do think either way you make the argument, you can make a solid argument for either side. I agree. I and totally you, agree. And you know what? The part that I, I, I don't understand, not that I don't understand, but I, I think the part that they, I think they kind of miscalculated was 
I know a lot of people are saying, oh, they, they should have drafted Aquanu. But you know what? If we didn't draft, if we drafted Aquanu, then we wouldn't get Sauce Gardner, right? So I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely against that. I'm okay with them drafting Sauce Gardner. They loved him, and you know what? So far, he looks like he's going to be, you know, exact all, all that we think he's going to be, right? So I'm okay with not drafting Aquanu. That makes that that's totally fine. What I don't understand, and in in so many reasons, is that they didn't get somebody here as that swing swing tackle you know they could play left or right i understand going all in with with becton i get it Mm -hmm. you know you drafted him high you believe in him and that's great he came in he came in shape it came into camp shape 100 whatever and i i totally get that but the part that that they didn't have themselves covered with becton not that he's going to get hurt but we got to look at what he's done the first two years right he's missed he missed a few games in week one, um, season one. And then last season, of course, you know, not that there is not that he's injury prone because it, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, it's not like, you know, he caused the injury. It was just, you know, wrong place, wrong time, basically, and all that. But it's the part that we have not seen him play a full season yet, right? That's the part that kind of gets me like, why didn't they have somebody ready to go like a backup swing tackle. I'm sure they tried to get one. Maybe they just couldn't get it financially, whatever. But that's the part that I don't understand because you have not seen this guy play a full season yet. So he's unproven basically Mm -hmm. like he's looked great when he's healthy, but unfortunately we haven't seen him for a full season. And now tack on another game onto the season. Now we're talking a 17 game season. We've never seen him go through a full season of 17 games. So we don't know, even if he's healthy, all 17 games, is he going to tire down by the end of the year? Is he going to, you know, his play, how is his play going to go? Is it going to stay at a high level or is it going to kind of tail off at the end? That's where I thought they should have gotten somebody, but you know what? They were lucky. They still got Dwayne Brown here. So that's that, that was my thought on the whole thing. Yeah. I, I think they would probably agree with you, right? Because they, I mean, they were looking to sign Dwayne Brown before, Makai Becton got injured. So they were probably looking at, you know, throughout camp and they were like, listen, we may need to add right. <laughs> that extra body at, at tackle, you know, some guy, if, whether he could just play left, whether he could just play right, you know, whatever, we need to look at someone who can come in here. Um, you know, because at that point, you know, he was Dwayne Brown was at the green and white scrimmage on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. Uh, Makai Becton was still from what we know, at least was fully healthy at that point in time. So they were probably looking and saying, okay, we, you know, we probably should have added somebody um, at that, you know, uh, maybe during the off season, you know, someone who can, who can kind of go both ways and be that swing tackle. But um, yeah, they would probably agree with you and say, you know, we were looking to add them. Maybe they couldn't add somebody, um, but you know, they were, they had their eyes set on, on Dwayne Brown, you know, quite a few days, at least uh, before Makai Becton got hurt. And um, yeah. And I, I, I do agree with you that I, I wouldn't play revisionist history yet on, on the draft that only happened no. four months for, you know, four months Definitely ago. I, I've seen, I've seen that. I've seen that circulating through Twitter though, in terms of mm-hmm. the jets should have taken, you know, Mackay Becton got hurt. So we should have taken his replacement fourth overall because the scenario now that I think plays out in my head is okay. We got sauce at, at four. Um, you know, he seems like he's going to be quite the player. We have Dwayne Brown to step in at the moment. 
So then next year in the 2023 draft, because, you know, unbeknownst to everyone, the draft comes around every single year and you have, you know, draft picks, you can, <laughs> right. you, can add, you can add to this roster. It doesn't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Rome wasn't built in one draft, the whole thing. Um, you know, what if you wind up in a position next year where you can get one of the top tackles or a tackle that you really like in the first or the second round next year? Now you walked right. away with Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson in the first round unfortunate about Makai Becton, but now you walk away in 2023 with a tackle that you really like. Um, because then if you went to Kwanu this year, maybe there's not that corner in next draft that, you know, is because in my opinion, um, sauce comes around it, that kind of guy comes around, not very often, if at all. Um, and so it, it, it kind of becomes a game of, I'd rather sauce and the guys and the hole that we got in the first round this year. And it's unfortunate that Makai got hurt last year, but what if we walk away with that tackle that all of a sudden we don't know exists out there right now, but we may find out he exists in November, December, January. And now he's on the jets roster in, you know, the 2023 season. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the thing about a tragedy like this, right. Um, I think it, 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 you know, you try to play all play all kinds of ways back in your head. At, you know, hey, you know, what could have we done? You know, be done differently in so many different ways to save this issue, to make you know, to protect the Jets from this issue. Listen, nobody could have predicted this, and anybody that tells me different, me, that means you were standing or sitting at your computer desk praying that this kid got in, yeah. because again. You could tell me that, oh, because he was a big guy, he, he was doomed to fail anyway because he 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 weighed a certain amount of weight, uh, so he was going to get injured. Tell me which injury was weight. was Because the injury he just su suffered was because his cleat got stuck in the freaking yeah. turf and then put his body in a weird position and he kind of just leaned into his, his, his forward or backward, however the hell it happened. I got to, I hate, I don't want to rewatch it anyway, but you know what I mean? So, so that wasn't an injury. That was his weight. That wasn't weight. Uh, like you said, Van Rotten um, getting thrown into his knee wasn't his weight. So what are we talking about? You know, mm -hmm. all this, I think we should put this to bed, you know, um, treat it like like you're supposed to like an offensive. You ask a, a quarterback to 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 uh, to deal with a play or any football player. By the way, hey, next play. Mm -hmm. Let's just let's just let's just do it. You know, let's just go next, next play. Man up. <laughs> next man up, whatever. And I know it's a cliche, like everybody says it, but that's how it is. It is what it is at this point because this is an a very talented team, and we haven't had that kind of talent around here in a while. And for us to just get stuck on this in, in situ, um, situation, I know it's bad, would kill every ounce of momentum this team has been building through the offseason. So, you know, um, I, I want to kill this conversation and move a little, uh, a little, a little bit forward um, and start talking about camp a little bit, man. Um, I, I wanted to pick your brain on on Corey Davis, because mm -hmm. I think he's one of those guys that, you know, everybody killed, killed him for last year, which I kind of understand because he was expecting this guy to be a little better than he was. He dropped too many balls, yeah. you know, and then, and then the injury didn't help. 
what's your take on Corey Davis and and what do you think he is he's gonna be moving forward? So my first piece um, about Corey Davis is he does need to be a whole heck of a lot better than he was last year. Right. The second piece about Corey Davis and why I think he's such an interesting player on this team. Um, and you're right. And maybe he's not getting as much of the um, maybe attention and, and listen, I'm not, we're not really, at, we're not at practice or anything. So like, we don't see every rep. We just kind of see what everyone else talks about. Um, right. You know, cause you, you see Elijah, you know, you see Elijah Moore's name everywhere you see, you know, all right, well, how's Garrett Wilson doing, you know, he's the new weapon. Hey, Brees Hall, uh, you know, how's it going with him? And, and Corey Davis is a guy that we gave, you know, not a ton of money to, but, you know, we gave a decent contract to a couple of years ago. My biggest take on Corey Davis um, is he's the key to Garrett Wilson. Um, and what I mean mm. by that is Garrett Wilson is wildly talented in his own right, but he's a rookie, right? We want, you know, we're waiting for that rookie to just immediately set the world on fire, but sometimes it doesn't always happen that way. And so as a big three, right, you have Corey Davis, you have Elijah Moore, and you have Garrett Wilson. If Corey Davis becomes what we, what we thought we were getting when we signed him, right? As a defense, you're already kind of worrying about Elijah Moore, in my opinion, as the first biggest threat at, uh, you know, in the wide receiver core of the Jets. So you're worrying about Elijah Moore, how you're going to defend him, right? And if the second piece is probably going to be Corey Davis, you know, at least early on in the year before Garrett Wilson gets going, if now Corey Davis starts to get going, and you have a little bit of a two-headed monster in Elijah Moore being your wide receiver one, getting a, a big share of the targets. And now Corey Davis is looking a little bit more like what he looked like in Tennessee. What does that do to now Garrett Wilson, who's like, I'm the third option. I'm, you know, uh, the route running that he possesses, the vertical ability, the catch in traffic that he has, you know, is he some teams or some defenses third you know, third down the line and who we have to worry about on the wide receiver core. And if it is, mm. Garrett Wilson's going to have quite a bit of a favorable matchup, at least throughout the beginning of the season. And I think that can help him grow to maybe someone who really kind of does take off a little bit during that second half of the year. And so Corey Davis, for me, yes, like individually, he needs to be a whole lot better. And then if he is a whole lot better, I think it helps unlock the guy that we just drafted 10th overall. So I do think Corey Davis has almost a domino effect on, okay, well, if he's not good and teams are like, Hey, we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll, we're just not going to worry about him too much. We're just going to, you know, we're going to focus our, our second, you know, priority is going to be Garrett Wilson. Then maybe Garrett Wilson has a little bit tougher of a transition going into the year and throughout the year, rather than if he was someone's third option. Now he's kind of playing a little bit more freely and doesn't have to worry about too much. And he could just go out there and play and make plays against some inferior cornerback or safety or defense back, whoever it is. Um, so I do think Corey Davis plays a, a bigger role then, you know, we may be giving him this offseason because of all of the new names that we have uh, through the draft and, and, and free agency. I agree. I agree for everything you said, man. You know, hey, that's one of the reasons why we, we you know, we, we cool because I think we agree on a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, most definitely um, the, the key, I, 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 man, the key to this offense outside, especially, it's Corey Davis for me because Corey Davis could do a lot of things. And one of the things I think, like you said, 
is the fact that he could unlock mm-hmm. um he could he could unlock uh Garrett Wilson and yeah. and if you unlock Garrett Wilson and you know what kind of a monster uh, E more could be we're we just brought in two tight ends <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, I mean, you you looked at a lot of the Jets film last year. How bad was the Jets tight end room? I mean, yeah, I mean, you. It's, I, I hate to be like mean. It's, it's nothing personal to them, but you look at some plays and you're like, all right, it's probably better off if they just like weren't out there at all. Yeah, it's, I it, agree. I, I'm like, all right, there's no, there's no way. I'm like, there's no, because you don't really realize it on the broadcast when you're watching in real time. And then you're looking back and you're like, wow, like it was that it was that bad. Like just it, other than the, the blocking wasn't great. Um, you know, they didn't create any separation. They dropped footballs. There was no run after the catch. Like there was just no threat of the tight end position. Um, and I think as we all know, it, it was kind of in the plans for the tight ends to be a big part of the offense. And they just did not, they didn't have one person that could, that, you know, could competently do the job. Yeah, and it's not only they were incompetent, you know, in ways that were just mind-boggling for me. I think one of the biggest, um, I think one of the plays that that stick, stuck in my head the most was I, I can't remember who it was because I think I think I didn't want to remember who it was, <laughs> but he he had a backside block on a play-action play, and I really don't. To tell you the truth, I don't know if he was supposed to release or not. But the fact that he was, whoever he was, had a backside block. If you have a, please correct me because you know more about this stuff than me. But if you have a backside block, meaning that you're the last line of defense, there ain't nobody around you. The defensive end is rushing. You block him. You release him and go running around knowing full well. There is nobody, and then the progression means that Zach has to hold the ball a little longer. Oh yeah. What the hell was you doing? I like it. I and it and I think the reason why it stuck to me, stuck that play stuck to me. And I've been trying to remember which team they were playing, but the reason why the the play keeps kept getting stuck in my head is because I think it happened more than once, and it <laughs> kept like killing me. I was like, these guys actually like are they really understanding what? LaFleur is asking them to do because I'm starting yeah. I'm starting to question the teaching. Because I'm like, how you are a quarter a, a tight end, and even if that means you have to hold your block for a, a, a two beats longer, mm-hmm. do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. It was really painful to watch, man. But uh, but you know what? Let's not dwell on that. Let's dwell on the <laughs> fact that <laughs> we actually no, you know, we, we, yeah. Exactly, right? Chris. Three, we have yeah. three new tight ends, just and three. <laughs> we might not know what the kid is. The kid in uh, what's his name? The Long Island kid Rocker. is Rocker. And we might not know what he is yet, but what we do know is we have a beast of a blocker and a very experienced guy, and we have a route runner extraordinaire tight end. In my opinion, from what I see, that could get separation. That like. I had to go back and watch Vikings a little bit. I'm like, did I notice this dude? Like, you know, because I'm, you know, give me your take on these guys because I'm, I'm, I think that's going to make a really big difference in a lot of what's going to happen with Zach going forward. Like you pointed out. Yes. 
Corey Davis, if Corey Davis does take off, oh my goodness, because then, like you said, unlocking Gary Wilson, yes. But then what do defenses do with the tight ends? Yeah, I mean, uh, right? So CJ, CJ, in my mind, um, right, he's the guy that now he's coming over. He just played in the Super Bowl, um, just kind of, you know, a part of the ascension of, of Joe Burrow. Um, and, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, Zach towards the end, but a lot of times you saw Zach with, you know, a deer in the headlights, uncomfortable, where do I go with the football type of look to him? Um, and you're like, all right, well, CJ is, you know, is going to be that guy that's going to be able to talk to him. He's going to be able to get open. And he's also going to give Zach that sense of relief of, okay, I know where CJ is going to be when, you know, even if it's just, you know, a, a little quick, you know, a five yard sit or, you know, a, a little drag where it's just something where he can get, you know, Zach can get him the football. I think that veteran, the leadership, I think we all kind of saw during the off season. Um, but for CJ, for me, it's that safety blanket, right? And he may stretch the field every so often, um, but it's more so the safety blanket for Zach when he's on the field, he knows what he's doing. The Conklin now, the Conklin, yeah, the Conklin's interesting because um, I think an underrated name, I think all off season, we talked about the, the dude from Dallas, Dalton Schultz, and, and yeah, how Schultz, you know, yep. we were so desperate for a tight end that you know we'll just pay him whatever he wants to and and things like that. When that went out the window, it was like, okay, well, you know, now let's just shift to the draft. And and they went ahead and they got CJ and they got Conklin. And Conklin looks like the guy that could be, you know, stretch the field a little bit. Um, but also he's gonna be a mauler in in the run game for us, which is which is fantastic. So they both actually, CJ and Conklin do a really good job of being able to get open and catching the football. But also it's not something where, you know, okay, if CJ's on the field, it's going to be a pass. If, you know, if, if Conklin's on the field, it's going to be a run or vice versa, you know, you're kind of left a little bit guessing with, they do both pretty well. So um, you don't know what you're going to get from them. It may be a vertical route. It may be something short, or it may just be a block in the run game. And then Jeremy Ruckert, um, you know, Jeremy Ruckert was, is an interesting one uh, because he doesn't have a whole lot of production to show for at Ohio State, only because he's surrounded by, you know, the best five stars in the country, um, you know, and, and I think he was a five star himself. But when you're, you know, when you're sitting around, um, you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and, and um, you know, Jackson Smith, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the guy that went off in the, the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and oh, the running back, the running back, I think CJ Henderson was another one. Um, there's just not enough. There's an, you know, there's not enough plays to go around that the football, it, it just can't be a pass around enough, but I think he is a guy who transformed himself at Ohio state to be able to be that blocker in the run game for Ohio state. Um, but also be able to stretch the field a little vertically. You know, everyone remembers kind of that one-handed catch against Alabama and the, and the, the, college football national championship a couple of years ago. So he does have that receiving ability to where he doesn't have to do it right now. Um, but again, it could be unlocked later in time, but he can still contribute in some form or fashion, um, whether that's special teams or, or, um, you know, as a, as maybe a, I don't know, a fullback, if, if, if they're, if they're short or, you know, a third tight end in some kind of goal line situation. So the tight end room is something to be really excited about because it feels like we're going from zero to a hundred um, almost overnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that That's the, I think, I think any, if you take it by steps, this offense uh, when on, you know, when you talk about the skill position, um, posi uh, positions, 
I think you, like you said, I think they could lean on each other. They could grow together. There's so much of it that, you know, that could just garner so much hope for the Jets going forward. Uh, but I want to save the quarterback for last. I want to talk about defense for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that kind of got me um, that was talking, talking about in camp, uh, I, I caught a couple of the, um, the beat writers talking about how close the DBs were and how it seemed like they were talking a lot. And I mean, not just talking trash or anything like that, like they were, their, their communication was like up, like really kind of astounding. I like, I actually tracked down three different guys that, you know, that mentioned the same thing that it seemed like these guys were in like really deep in, like they had been together for a minute and they just got together. And, um, and I thought about it for a minute, right? James. If you take a couple rookies, you take a couple guys that have been in the league for a few years, you know, sophomores, and then you take a couple seasoned vets like a DJ Reed and uh, and a Jordan Whitehead, you put them all together, guess what you got? Especially if they have the rookies I'm talking about where they're where like Sauce Gardner, who is like a like a beast because not only because he he's definitely some kind of unicorn, but the fact that he's hungry yeah. and he wants to learn. And then you have somebody that like Hall that's hungry and he wants to be great. And then you take that and then you put the library whitehead read in the, in, in, in the midst of all that, what you get is a perfect blend of, you know, like seasoning Mm-hmm. and freshness you know what i mean yeah. and i think some something is something is about to happen here man i don't want to say it because <laughs> i don't want to jinx it but it feels good it feels like they've gotten some something is you know they've gotten something here and i don't think a lot of people are talking about it because people still think that this db room is going to be a weakness for the jets you know so what is your take on the mixture of talent that they've got in the db room now I mean, it, it's pretty impressive because you look at it and, okay, on paper, right, we're thinking Sauce is going to start on one side and DJ Reed is going to start on the other. And, you know, obviously they'll they'll mix in and, and they'll do certain, you know, um, certain packages and things that like things like that. But then you look at it from that standpoint, and you're like, all right, then we have Bryce Hall there who has now two years of NFL experience as a backup that, you know, may not start, but he may, he, you know, he's going to play a little bit. You look at Brandon Eccles, a guy who was a late round pick last year, um, plays an entire mm-hmm. NFL season as a rookie. He's backing up someone. So it, it's almost like, okay, now we have kind of that upper level talent that we were probably missing last year. And, and Brandon Eccles and Bryce Hall, they did. I think I, I think they did what they could uh, for the position that they were put in. Yes. Uh, but you still needed to upgrade the room despite however you felt about both of them. And clearly the Jets felt the same because they paid DJ Moore, uh, DJ Moore, uh, they paid DJ Reed and they drafted Sauce Gardner at fourth, uh, fourth overall. And so you have a, a really nice blend of, yes, the veterans and, and Jordan Whitehead coming over and, 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 and DJ Reed. Uh, but also you have a, you have a depth now. 
of if something does happen to someone, which I do think, you know, we don't want to talk about it, but it's the reality of the sport that listen, it's 17 games now. Hopefully maybe we're playing beyond that. Who knows? Um, anything can happen in a football season, but now we're talking about, okay, if someone even has to, you know, maybe they don't go down with a, a catastrophic injury where they miss the year, but what if DJ Reed has to miss three games? Mm. Like what if, what if sauce Gardner has to miss a couple or, or just anything like that all of a sudden now you're like, all right, I may not be replacing them with someone of that caliber, but I'm replacing them with someone who has played the position in the NFL and is still young and can still develop and can still get better while having the experience that they had last year. And so I think you're right because communication wise, um, I love the secondary altogether just as a position group uh, because you do have to communicate more than people think like, right. We're, we're accustomed to, you know, and maybe the only thing that we're spoiled about as Jeff fans is the fact that for however many years that Darrell Rivas played football for us, you know, half the football field was covered and, you know, he just did it. He just did what he had to do man coverage, you know, locked up half of a football field, but ultimately, especially in this defense, the way they put, you know, the zones that they play and, and not having someone of that caliber yet, maybe sauce becomes that, but I it's, you know, it's a long shot the way the rules are right now. Um, but you look at it, you're like, all right, the zone, um, you know, that they're going to play at least on early downs because they played a lot of man coverage on third downs last year. Um, you know, all that communication has to be, has to be taken into a factor. You got to know where guys are going to be, how guys are going to play. And so, um, you know, the communication is massive on the back end. Usually a lot of that communication is coming from one of the safeties because, you know, CJ Mosley is going to be the man to get everyone kind of set, but, you know, uh, usually there's a safety calling out certain things to, you know, to corners and, and then vice versa. Um, but the communication is a big aspect. And I think the other piece is the depth is what can make them really special because when you wake up on Sunday morning and you're like, oh my God, this guy has to miss the game. You're like, all right, well, Bryce Hall is going to step in and do a good job this week. Um, or Brandon Eccles is going to step in and, and, you know, and we can live with that for, for, you know, for a week or two, but um, they added some really high level talent. I think probably the question mark is, um, you know, that single high free safety mm. is Joyner. Joiner going to step up. He got hurt last year. The Jets loved them, you know, clearly because they brought him back pretty early into free agency on a, you know, short-term deal or, you know, it was a guy like Will Parks is Ashton Davis going to take a step or is that, that, that the position that we're looking at, you know, in February and, and we're all talking about, all right, well, we, hopefully maybe we can get the best safety in the draft or, or, you know, someone, someone to play that single high. Cause right now I think that's the biggest question mark of the, of the secondary. Mm. How do you think, because uh, uh, Charmin, when we had Coach Koo on, on yes. our, I think it was the last episode or the one before, he spoke about how they're going to use, uh, how he thinks they might use Bryce Hall to cover the tight ends, mm -hmm. right? Um, how, how do you think they're going to use uh, Bryce Hall? Listen, to cover the tight ends is an interesting one, right? Because also, I guess in the linebacker room, you have a lot of guys fighting for that spot. And, you know, obviously the base is the 4-3, but, you know, mm -hmm. most of the time you're in that nickel. So it's a, technically a 4-2-5. Um, and so you're really kind of subbing that guy in and out, um, you know, the nickel back. And, you know, if it's a slot guy, it's, you know, you know Michael Michael Carter the second is going to be, you know, that slot corner. But you know, if, yeah, if you're against a team that, that, you know, it's going to, they're going to spread out the tight ends because the tight ends now, 
Mm. I mean, for, for most of them, right. Uh, not all, I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them are just huge wide receivers. Um, and yeah. so, you know, they're, they're moving a little bit differently to where, um, you know, you may want that bigger corner on them. Um, and maybe not, you know, he, they're too big for your slot corner, your nickelbacker or a safety or whoever it is, or you don't trust your linebacker or your safety in coverage, especially in man coverage against one of those guys. And so, yeah, you can definitely throw that in. I think obviously personnel and, and matchups is going to, you know, somewhat dictate that based on who you're actually playing. Um, but yeah, Bryce Hall can be used in a lot. And that's the other thing, like Bryce Hall um, is one of those where, like we didn't want to kick him to the curb and I, we're not kicking him to the curb. It's just um, there was an option or an ability to get a guy with a generational type of, you know, ability to him. Um, and Bryce Hall just kind of didn't make enough plays on the football last year to be like, Hey, we're going to pass on this guy and continue with him as a full-time starter. And then if it doesn't work out, maybe fix it in the future. They took that opportunity now. And so he will contribute to the football team. And I do think, putting him on a tight end, especially on a third down, right? Maybe it's like a third and six and we know we're going man coverage and they have a tight end split out wide or split out in the slot. You can throw Bryce Hall in there, um, you know, and play man coverage. I, I do think that's a pretty interesting, uh, an interesting tidbit that we could definitely see. And hopefully we do see because, um, you know, I think the Jets last year kind of stuck with some bread and butter here and there. Um, instead of saying, hey, we can maybe be a little bit more flexible. And I think now maybe they think they have the personnel to do that. Yeah, personnel was a big thing last year for 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 uh, Robert Sala, I think, and 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 Albrecht, because I think ultimately when you watch a lot of what they did, I think they thought they were their hands were tied because they didn't have enough bodies or the mm -hmm. kinds of bodies they needed for for playing certain positions. Um that's definitely that was definitely something uh, I caught on to. Uh, but moving on to the linebackers, I mean, yeah. recently uh, signing Quan Alexander was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, we do not know what we have in the those two rookies that we drafted a year ago. Um, right. They they ultimately got injured. And they haven't really spent a lot of time playing. And they have a lot to learn. The fact now that they have the um, experience in in somebody like Quan Alexander, which is which they already had with uh, with Mosley before, but that's like two times. You know, now you have instead of ha you having it in one guy, you have it twice. You know, yeah. so in you know certain things uh, Mosley might miss, uh, Alexander could pick up pick up on. You know, and then he's a different kind of guy too. Mosley moves differently than most guys. Juan moves differently than most guys. So you could learn this position from different sorts of guys and see in so many different ways. Um, what's your take on the linebacking room? Because, I mean, we got to be, uh, you know, we got to be logical here. I, I don't think anybody thought that the linebacking crew was going to be the saviors of the defense. No, yeah, I was, I mean, I, listen, I was really surprised they didn't draft one. Um, you know, not to yeah. say they had, not to say they had to do it early, but, um, you know, draft one at, at, at some point in time and, um, you know, later on or, or try to get back in the draft and maybe take a flyer on somebody. But, you know, obviously, um, I, I, I feel a pretty strong, strong way about CJ Mosley. Um, I do think he's 
probably up there in guys that, you know, if you had to rank guys, you didn't want to lose on this Jets roster, he'd probably be up there. Um, and I would say in the top five, uh, in, in terms of guys, you don't want to lose because it, it's really bare after that. And it was a good ad for Quan Alexander. Cause you're right. I think one of the biggest pieces, uh, that they struggled with last year outside of CJ Mosley. And he did have his struggles last year too, but I mean, he was all over the football last year was, you know, that post snap recognition, of you know screen passes runs whatever you want to call it but it seemed like things were just a little tad bit late um and they didn't gel very well with uh you know it didn't help that on maybe some of the plays that they were in position uh you know the defensive line also didn't help them out uh, and do their part as well so it was kind of a bad combination of a lot of things and obviously jamie and sherwood and hamza nasual dean are the two guys that were hoping maybe take that next step if I had to put my, if I had to put money down on who it would be, um, I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be Jamie and Sherwood. Um, I agree. Who would at, at least, I'm not saying play major minutes and, you know, and, and be a, you know, a, a staple, but a guy that it, it at least going to contribute. He got some good experience last year before getting hurt. And he is, seems like he's back and healthy now. We haven't seen him on any kind of injury report and he wasn't on the pup list to start camp. So that was a good sign. Um, it does seem like, and, and this is just based off of, you know, um, my, my reading of the camp reports at Twitter on Twitter is, you know, maybe Hamza Najaldin is not, um, you know, coming along as, as, you know, as, as, uh, swiftly as maybe they thought he would, or, or, you know, how that works out. I, I've seen a couple, you know, 53 man projections and there's someone that he's not even on there. So, um, yeah. you know, you can't really bank on that. So what we're banking on right now, I think is. CJ Mosley continues to be who he is and who he's always been. Uh, Quan Alexander hopefully stays healthy and he provides that, you know, that extra experience right next to CJ Mosley to kind of help everything out. And then whatever we get from a guy like Quincy Williams or a guy like Jamie and Sherwood. And um, I know we have a, a few guys behind them that uh, to be honest, I'm not even really sure who they are. Uh, but you know, the Quincy Williams, Jamie and Sherwood, Quan Alexander and CJ Mosley, they're going to have to put together quite the quite the campaign to 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 be better than you know this group was last year i agree i uh i mean i think i think the whole jamie and showwood thing and and Nazarene thing kind of um one of the things that kind of crystallized it for me and i don't know if it's true but just off of what like you said trying to read the tea leaves was that they were willing to make showwood a backup middle linebacker mm-hmm that meant that he had an advanced knowledge of the system to the point where they were willing to give him calls. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, and to you're me, absolutely right. And, and to me, the same, the same thing, the, the opposite happened with Nazareth Dean. They kind of seemed to try to hide him. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that bothered, that was one of the things that bothered me, you know, that kind of, I was like, you know what, most likely Sherwood, mentally is picking up the, the the position way quicker than Hamza is. And that's probably the issue. That's why one is getting more play than the other. But um, but quickly, um, because we really want to get to talking about Zach, because you, I know you've done an incredible amount of homework talking about Zach. Um, oh, my God, Zach Wilson. <laughs> uh, I don't know where that came from. Um, but um, running backs. Uh, were you surprised by the hall pick? <laughs> yeah, I was. I'll be honest, I was. Um, I 
didn't think, I mean, listen, all draft, you, you go through everything and you understand who the player was in, in Brees Hall and, and how good he was, but it was just like, all right, well, if they want him, they're going to have to take him at 35 or, or 38, you know? So um, that's probably not going to happen. They're not going to invest, you know, in, in a position that high. Um, but they went ahead and did it. And listen, the guy's a playmaker. That's who we're, that's what we've been clamoring for, for, I don't know, as long as I've been a Jeff fan, it feels like. So it's, um, it's something to where, you know, I didn't expect it. I was surprised, but I think it's going to be something that we're ultimately pretty happy with. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's any kind of indictment on Michael Carter. I think they're going to be quite the tandem there and and that's what they're looking to do because there's not many guys that are built like Derrick Henry and you know guys that could just take on the entire load for you know 17 18 19 weeks 20 weeks in a season year in after you're out so you're you know you're gonna have to um you know play these guys and 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 play to their strengths and and Bryce Brees Hall has a lot of strengths um in terms of what he can do the athlete he is uh, the vision that he has and it's gonna be really really interesting to see him and and Michael Carter kind of play off of each other. So um, I'm excited. But yes, I was extremely surprised they went running back that high in the draft. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I I'm still kind of a speechless. Think of think that we get <laughs> we get that that kind of talent. And again, yeah. knowing what we have in Michael Carter, you know the fact that I don't know I. You rem- I don't remember too many times that any defense was able to ha- stop this guy from getting a yard, even when they had him dead to right. <laughs> so you have that kind of slippery player, and then you have a brick of a running back that you that just could body you because he could be that physical. And on top of that, when he gets going downhill, he, he's like, I don't know, he got a couple gears at least, you know. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, so you combine those two, I think that that would be very interesting going forward, man. Uh, but yeah, to the you know, I I want to talk about Zach Wilson, but I think I want to start it like this because mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting things for me when it comes to quarterback play or offense generally is who's the coordinator and who who engineers the plays and the play calling, right? And knowing that we had a rookie guy at that makes me want to ask this question. During the season, when you look at the play calling, were there times that you felt like it was a little bit more, like less knowledgeable? I don't want to say knowledgeable. I'm trying to ask ask this question without seeming to throw Mike LaFleur under the bus because I think he's a very knowledgeable guy. He wouldn't have gotten the job if he wasn't. But I think over the years, learning about play calling and some of the guys that I love in the league as play callers, I think I think it's just it's not just about knowing plays. It's not just about knowing when to play calls, call, call plays, I, and and not even being able to just put them together correctly. I think everything is needed at once when it comes to um, being a coordinator of um, calling plays and also creating an offense. Um, mm-hmm. And and to me, there is absolutely no way that there was not play calls that he thought that was not executed right, that he yeah. probably didn't teach right, 
because that was the first time he was doing it. And and play calls that he thought he could have back and might engineer it in a different way now that he's had as much experience under his belt. What do you think of my take? No, it's a, it's a good point. And I feel like maybe the word you're looking for is like cluster, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, cause I'm you know, just a very quick point. Like one of the things I kind of, I guess had trouble with maybe not a lot of years in football. Like I'm a big spacing guy. Um, yep. Like the field is 50, 50, you know, 53 and a half yards wide. And it's, you know, a hundred, you know, and 20 yards, you know, counting the end zone, 120 yards long. Um, you know, use the field. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It, in the beginning of the year, Mike LaFleur called plays like he didn't know his personnel. Hmm. And so in the beginning of the year, those first, you know, first few weeks, um, it was obviously a lot of the 12 personnel, right? He was throwing the tight ends out there. Um, a lot of, a lot of bunch or tight formations where you have hmm. tight splits, um, not really using, you know, the spacing as well. And for me, like, you know, if I'm a corner, right, and I continuously see those tight splits by the wide receiver, you know, I'm just playing an outside leverage. And listen, if he goes inside, he's going to, someone else is going to be responsible for him. But if I keep outside leverage, those outside routes are going to be a lot harder for the quarterback to complete. And so, you know, I thought formation wise was a little bland starting off. And then play calling wise, it felt like he just didn't understand, okay. You know, we had to, they had to go through that process of understanding, okay, we thought we had a couple of good tight ends. They're not we good don't. at all. Um, <laughs> so, so we, we kind of have to now shift to doing something else. And, and you did see the progression for him as the season went on because guys like Braxton Berrios got involved a lot more throughout the year. Um, you know, and, and so he started to understand things a little bit more, what made Zach comfortable. Um, you know, but beginning, beginning of the year, I'd probably say those first four games, or maybe four or five games when, before Zach got hurt, I felt like when I put on the tape, I knew what was coming. And mm. if I, and if I know what's coming, um, there's like probably a 110% chance that like a guy like Wink Martindale knows what's coming, <laughs> you know, just, just a, obviously a, a seasoned veteran defensive coordinator and also yes. the players on, on the other side of the field, they know what's coming. Bill Belichick, they know what's coming. Um, nothing's a secret, I guess, in, in, in that regard, it would, it would constantly be. And I think the Broncos game was probably a good, um, mm. probably a good indicator of that, of, First and Painful. second down, we're just going to run the ball and see where we get. Okay, it's third and six, or it's third and seven, or it's third and long. All right, well, now we're going to have to go in the shotgun and put four wide receivers out there, three wide receivers out there. Like, you know, so it becomes a game of, you know, the defense now puts you in a spot that you basically have to throw the football. Yes. Um, and so when, you know, when you the defense knows you're throwing the football, it makes the game a lot more easier for them, especially when you're just running it, you know, and not really all that successfully on first and second down. And I think what he got better at as the year went on was mixing up what he did on first and second down because it felt like, all right, we're not in those terribly long situations, um, you know, on third down. I mean, we were, but not as frequently as the beginning of the year when we couldn't even score a touchdown in the first half. Um, and so, yeah, a cluster. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, if the guys aren't in the right spot, then yeah, there was a point in the install periods where maybe you didn't teach the play correctly or you taught it in a way that the guys just didn't understand it. Um, 
because there were plays where like, all right, that guy's definitely probably not supposed to be there. Or these two guys are way too close to each other. There's no way that was intended to be that way. And if it was, then you have to throw the play out. Um, But yeah, I think for, for LaFleur and for Zach as well, but the beginning of it is, you know, LaFleur was a rookie as well. And you were very much able to see that early on in the year um, until he became booth. Booth LaFleur. <laughs> LaBooth, like uh like uh Salah said they call him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the James, booth. with with uh Zach Wilson, um this this could be two answers or it could be just one. What skill of Zach's has mm. to improve this year for him to take that next step? And what's the one that has what, what's the most important part of his game that has to take the next step? Yeah, so I think the the physical aspect um, that probably has to get a, a whole lot better. I guess it's physical and mental. It's it's I guess it's combined. Um, you know, the layup. Take the layup, dude. Just take the layup. I think um, you know it's a double edged sword because um, you want him to feel comfortable enough to where he's hitting those layups, but also realizing the talent that he does possess physically to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take a risk here because I trust myself or I, I, you know, I trust Elijah Moore. I trust, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson and we got to, you know, at some point hit the big plays, but I think probably the, the physical, the physical aspect of that, of the layup is when you take the layup, you have to give your guy the ability to uh, be able to run after with the football. There were, there were quite a few times where, okay, he may have hit the layup finally. I mean, obviously we know there were times where he just totally missed it and it seemed, you know, way off. Um, even if it was a throw behind the line of scrimmage or, you know, within a couple of yards of the line of scrimmage, but, and then there were some where he did complete them, but it was like, all right, now the, now the running back or the wide receiver, they have to turn around. Maybe they're not getting that full head of steam that you wanted them to get when they caught the football. So I think the biggest thing for Zach um, is, you know, maybe a little bit of the footwork, maybe a little bit of the mechanics, um, just clean it up a little bit. Don't rush everything. Um, you know, you could do things in a timely manner without rushing it. And then ultimately a little bit of that ball placement on those shorter intermediate routes. Cause those are still going to be there. And with the playmakers that they brought in and a guy like Brees Hall and a guy like Michael Carter and Elijah Moore, we want to see them throw those short routes. We want to see them incorporate that and have that in the game because it's easy yards. You're almost essentially making it an extension of the run game. Um, but Zach has to, Zach has to put the football in certain spots um, to give those guys a chance to, you know, create yards after the catch. Whereas last year, some of them were incomplete. Some of them weren't great. You know, some of them, of course, you know, he makes them, you know, we could pull, we could pull clips of, of him hitting those passes, but they have to be hit at a more impressive rate um than they were you know at least last year um and was the second piece um what he did really well did i catch that right yeah like i was gonna say like what's the one that he needs to improve the most Mm -hmm. to take that nick to to, you know to take that big step that we're hoping he takes this year yeah so the that part and then mentally for zach um it's got to be a little bit less thinking for him he looks like he looked like his mind was going 110 miles an hour and you can see it because it felt like on certain plays he almost didn't know where he was like he he didn't know where he wanted to go when the ball was snapped and i think that i think that's a factor of 
you know there's a thousand things going on. You're thinking way too much. And now when the ball is snapped, you don't remember where you need to be, where your guys need to be, what the progression was. And Michael LaFleur actually talked about this. I think it might have been a couple of weeks ago. You know, he said just play – he just wants Zach just to play the position. Um, you know, stop thinking all that much. And, and the progression aspect is make it become almost second nature. And for Zach, that's hard as a rookie. I mean, he's got a thousand things to worry about. Um, you know, whether that's pre-snap, post-snap, in the huddle, making sure he communicates the play correctly, you know, still being a leader at the same time. Um, and, and and for him, it looked like there were certain points where, you know, he's surveying the defense. Maybe he's going through his pre-snap read, but he's thinking at such a rate that when the ball is snapped, he's almost looking nowhere. Um, hmm. and, and it's kind of blank up there. And then at that point, now he's trying to scramble or he takes a sack. Um, and, and there were some of those plays where, you know, there was a guy open um, and, and the NFL, the open is a lot smaller than it is at other levels. Um, but there were plays that you're like, all right, you want to see him process that a whole heck of a lot faster and not almost panic after um, after the ball snap. So I would say physically it's getting the ball to your guys on those short routes that he needs to improve on um, at a much higher clip. And then mentally, it's just trying to slow it down. And I know it sounds easy coming from a guy that's just talking into a microphone right here. <laughs> but that's, you know, if we're looking for him to be great, that's what, you know, the Peyton Mannings of the world have done. They prepared themselves to the point where they're just, they're, they're, they're not going through the motions, but it's everything's becoming second nature to where, you know, this is my number one. And if it's not there, this is my number two. And then if it's, that's not there, I can get out and try to make a play, but if not, a throwaway is perfectly fine. And understanding that a punt always isn't the worst thing in the world. A punt is sometimes better than the alternative options out there. Um, and so mentally for, for me, I think it's, it's Zach taking the offense and making it second nature if we want to see him take that next step to be you know, closer to uh, a really good or you know, hopefully one day for us, uh, you know, a, a great quarterback for, for the Jets. I think I think uh, this is why we bring James on, man. I think you hit it, the nail on the head when you talk the last sentence right there, um, talking about making the offense second nature. Because I recently heard Zach talking on an in, in an interview talking about how coming into the league, he thought he needed to know everything, knowing every defense and what they look like and where where the window is going to be, every window is going to be, or whatever. And like you said. LeFleur, he he said it. LeFleur told him, stop thinking that you have to know everything. Yeah. Just know what the offense, how the offense works and what the offense wants you to do in the face of this. You right. see the defense, and if if it's if it's middle field open, pre-snap, and then you see, hey man, something, some there's a tell that it's gonna they're gonna they're gonna shift to close. Mm -hmm. You have to know what the answer is. Per your offense. Right. You have to know that. And like you said, you, that answer is supposed to be second nature to you. So you could go to it in a flash. So if they're going to rotate and close and do a middle field close, boom, the answer is this. Right. And I, because I, I know you mentioned one play that, um, and like you, and that's what second nature is. Uh, it's yeah. not being, you know, forcing anything. It's that. It's like you know and you have an answer readily 
available when what when the defense reacts. Because again, defenses react. Offenses are the ones that dictate. Yeah. So, um, so the fact that you answered that question, that to me, that's like a perfect way of answering that question. That that's what Zach needs more than anything. And I think going back to what you said earlier about the the fact that Lafleur had did have an issue with with playing football in a cluster. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think one, I think one of the, I'll give him a break on one of the things I'll give him a break on is the fact that it's true that he might have not have known his own personnel, but I think what he, I think he was being forced to play his offense in a way he didn't want to, because he didn't have the kind of speed right. that he needed. Um, because if you, if you, and I think it. I think the fact that uh, um, Barrios became a big target kind of tells you what he really wanted to do. Because um, right. I think if he had somebody like Wilson, um, like Garrett Wilson last year, you would have seen a little bit more of the spacing. But mm-hmm. because a lot of the guys that he had couldn't be the kind of uh, – guy you want out on the field side running a route because he wouldn't be able to get the kind of separation you want. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why he didn't do that. But um, talking Zach, in my opinion, I think we have to talk about one of the things that rookies and um, rookie, rookie quarterbacks struggle with when it mm-hmm. comes from growing from rookies to being a sophomore or getting even better is the physical part of, of being a quarterback. quarterback. The yeah. the the um you know your 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 drop your drops how like your your four step five step drops where your your shoulders supposed to be where your toes supposed to be all that stuff that that the, the mechanics of the of the play of the of the position right yeah what did you see when you looked at that because sometimes in the beginning of the season it looked like real like trash like hot trash not, it, not it just was, it was no, yeah it was. <laughs> It's um, one of the reasons why he couldn't he couldn't throw a, a, a throw a completion to a running back in the flat because he just couldn't get his elbows or his toes pointed to the right direction. He's trying to contort his body to make a complete a simple throw, and it made made it more, like a, a million times more complicated than it needed to be. What did you see? Yeah, I I mean I actually went back to like the BYU film that I had, and I was like, man, I must have I, I had to have like missed something. Like, there's no way it looks like this after you know all the off season you know film stuff that I did before the before we drafted them because I was like, there's no, you know, there's no it, it. Really, what you're looking for, right? If you're a quarterback and and you're dropping, all that is still you know still important, no matter if you're throwing it sidearm. You know, I I. You know, whatever it is, whatever arm angle you're throwing it from, it's still important to have a really good base. And in your base, you want to be balanced. You want to be able to shift your weight from that back foot and drive through the football, um, especially on those short those short passes, right? Like sometimes, yeah, he's gonna he's not gonna have his feet underneath him, and you know he could do all the arm angles and he can do all that fun stuff, um, and he could throw the ball deep. But listen, if it's just that five yard out or that speed out or or that swing to the you know to the running back in the backfield the the stuff that we talked about him having trouble hitting you know you want to be able to get the snap you go through your three-step drop if you're in shotgun it's usually just some you know your three-step drop in a shotgun is really just kind of a one-step drop um but you want to be able to have a, a, a really nice base you don't want your last step in your drop to be too 
far attached from your, your, your right shoulder, right? So if you're a right-handed quarterback, um, your back step, your last step in your drop is going to be your right foot that you plant off of. And sometimes you have a hitch, right? So if you have a, lo a longer developing play, you may have a hitch attached to your drop. So if you have a five star, a five step drop with a hitch, chances are you're probably throwing some kind of post, some, some kind of corner post, you know, something long, longer developing down the field. Maybe it's a play action where you have the time to actually hitch up and regain your step. But usually on those, maybe it's a slant or maybe it's a, you know, the speed out or, or a curl of some sort or a quick route to the tight end or the swing to the running back chances are you have to hit that, that last step in your drop and you don't, you're not afforded a hitch. The timing is not there. So you just have to hit that last step in your drop and you have to get the ball out. And sometimes that's difficult for people. If you're not really familiar with doing that or the footwork or always being in shotgun or doing, you know, certain drops of that nature is okay. It's gotta be out. So I can't just um, get that hitch and now gather myself. And what happens sometimes with that is, that last step, so your right foot as a right-handed quarterback can be too far outside of your, your shoulder. And now when you're stepping up and transferring your weight, your base is way too wide. Um, and when your base is way too wide, your throw is either going to be high or there's a chance it just dies on you, which we saw happen to Zach a lot on those, yeah. on those short, short throws was the ball just kind of like died on him. Um, and it was at the feet of a wide receiver or whoever it was, um, a tight end or, or, you know, whoever it might've been. And it was because his base was so wide, he couldn't get that transfer of weight underneath him. And so one of those things, right again, and, and making things second nature is making the drop second nature to where you're now not worrying about your footwork. It's just coming to you naturally as you go through your progression, because you have to know as a quarterback, all right, I'm, I'm three stepping out, you know, I mean, three step with a hitch is probably not, you know, going to be something you really do. Cause then you're just going to, you know, you're not going to really gonna help out your offensive line any, any much, but you know, sometimes you get a five, a five step drop where, you know, it's five step with no hitch, but sometimes you do get afforded that hitch at the, at the, at the five step drop. And so it really becomes a manner of, okay, how can I keep balance and how can I shift my weight properly, you know, while, just going through my drop and getting off that back foot. So I think for Zach, one of those things is not only making the offense second nature, but the footwork that's attached to the play at that point in time has to be something that he gets a little bit better at so that he always has that foundation underneath him to use the arm strength that he has and he possesses. And now looks like the lower body strength that he has that he may not have had last year. Yeah, because he's, he's beefier, right? <laughs> just a little bit beefier a, a, a little bit um so overall looking at every everything you watched on the film of for zach how much of a leap do you think he's capable of taking I, I i do what i think he's capable of making i do think it's pretty significant compared to what i saw last year um because and i talked to um andrew uh not really talked to andrew but we kind of had a couple uh, tweets back and forth kind of about, you know, how despite of what we saw, there's still a confidence level based on the fact that some of that or what we saw from him last year wasn't him prior to last year. Um, and so whether it was not understanding the offense as well as he, he, you know, he will in his second year or, 
you know, not having the, the weapons that he has right now or not having the confidence that he might have right now. Um, I think he could take a pretty significant leap in his second year because of what he's going to have around him. But also, once he gains his ground and he gets comfortable, I think things that we saw at BYU he do, he, that he did, especially footwork and, 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 and arm strength wise, I think that comes back and it makes the whole world of a difference. I mean, um, it was a couple of days ago, I went back uh, to, I think the game against San Diego state that he played his junior year at BYU. Um, and he was, he was, again, it was play action. Um, he was, his feet were smooth and, you know, after the play action, he got his hitch step in and he threw, you know, a comeback route from one hash to the opposite sideline and you're like, okay, I didn't see that last year. You know, that wasn't there, that confidence, that, you know, second nature, he knew exactly where he wanted to go. His body was facing center, you know, uh, you know, the middle field safety. And at the last second, he flips the hips and he lets the ball go, lets the ball go. And he drives into the football um, and he gets it to where he needs it to be. So I think once we see that type of stuff compared to, or in addition to, the playmakers that I've added, they've added around him a little bit better protection up front. Um, I think it could be a significant leap, but we need to see the short stuff before we can see the, the ESPN, you know, top 10 highlight type type of stuff occur on a more consistent basis. Yeah. Because quarterbacking is about consistency, man. Right. Yeah. That, move, that, move, that. The, move the chains. Yes, sir. Like the, the, you know, it, it sounds stupid, but you get three tries to go 10 yards. You know, mm. you don't have to make it anything more than that. Um, and listen, you can't, you know, Salah said this before, you know, you can't just keep going, you know, five yards at a time. At some point, you got to hit the big plays. Yep. But when you hit those shorter plays, the bigger plays are going to come, you know, down the line. They're going to come more often. So, you know, just move the chains, keep the offense working um, and, and protect the football. Everything you just said, plus any other, um, you know, phrase that you could use that you've heard coaches say a million times makes a lot of sense right now. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's, it's for me, for me, um, I agree. Like I said, you know, we see a lot of things the same way. I, um, I totally agree with, with everything you said. I think the play, the additional playmakers will most definitely uh, take his play up a notch, but the biggest and widest gain when it comes to his his playmaking ability or just being a quarterback is those basic things, like you mm -hmm. said, having having that proper foundation and all these things that would make you a better quarterback, not just a better playmaker, a better quarterback. We need a quarterback, and that with the playmakers we have on this team. We need a quarterback, and he needs to be able to deliver the ball with precision to these playmakers so this offense could run supremely like it's supposed to. So, hey, man, as always, it's it's awesome to have conversation with you about, about football. I mean, we could talk forever, <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking about the Jets, talking about Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think we need – I think we're going to have more of a, a – we're going to talk again another time. Um, we're, we're glad to have you on another time whenever you, uh, whenever you can. But um, I think my last question would be if you, you look at the, um, if you look at the, did you look at the, the, um, 
the 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 teams the Jets are gonna play this year, and what did what do you think, man? I mean, I know the the first eight games, everybody's talked about that. Um, overall, what do you think of who the Jets will play and this season, and what's your take of? I'm not gonna ask you how many wins. I'm just asking, <laughs> you know, what do you think ultimately could will happen to this team? Oof. Um, yeah, that the schedule guy, uh, the schedule makers didn't do us any favors, but um, in a sense, uh, I kind of wouldn't want it any other way because it's never going to be, I mean, it's never going to be easy. So, um, you know, you, you can't really downgrade any team that you play, no matter their record throughout the, you know, throughout the season. I think the Bengals may have learned that on, on Halloween last year, um, but they got to get through September and they have to win a game in September. I think, you know, I'll, I'll start there uh, because I, they haven't won a game in September in a long time. Um, you're going to have the crowd behind you on opening day um, with a ton of hope, you know, against the Ravens. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, a nine 11 anniversary. So there's going to be a lot of emotion um, in the stadium, you know, pregame and things of that nature. So, that's a game they have to come out. You can't, you can't uh, lay an egg like you did against the home opener and against the Patriots last year. So um, <laughs> I, you got to come, you got to come prepared no matter who you're playing and it's going to be tough, but you have to find a way to at least, you know, come out of September with a win or two um, because it, it may get a little bit easier down the, down the road. But what I'm looking for is a better start. You can't go four games without scoring a touchdown in the first half. Um, like you did last year. So that's got to improve. The start has to improve and you have to build off of that. But also they got to start winning some games in the AFC East, because if they don't, then nothing's ever going to, you know, nothing's ever going to get any better. So um, I don't know what the season's looking like. I'm thinking about eight wins. Um, that's my thought. Okay. All I'm right. Thinking, I'm thinking about seven to eight, seven to eight is my, um, is my benchmark that I'd really like to see them. And, and, you know, no more, you know, 53, 10 losses coming out of a buy, all that stuff, all the really bad stuff that we saw last year has to end. doesn't mean they have to make the playoffs this year, but um, you at least have to win around that seven to eight mark and not have those big time stinkers that you had quite often against the Colts, against the Patriots, against, um, you know, uh, you know, whoever, whoever else it was, I know we lost a whole bunch of, you know, big time games, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you know, all those big time stinkers that you just don't show up. It looks like nobody prepared. Um, those cannot be present this year. So that's my hope for um, for the Jets this year. All right, James, one more before we go. Yeah. This is the easiest one. What's yeah. your uh, Super Bowl prediction? Oh, man, my Super Bowl prediction. <laughs> Holy crap. He said uh, it was easy. Yeah, that was easy. Um, yeah, I don't know either. That's why I'm kind of on the fence with about ten teams right now. Yeah, no, it, that it's one's hard. hard. Um, so I, I, I know we're trying to wrap up here, but very quickly, I, I had like a, you know, we I have a group chat with you know my friends from home and stuff like that. We're all huge football fans, but we're split right in half. It's Jets and Giants in the same chat. Um, and so, you know, whenever Ooh. we, whenever we talk about the Cowboys, you know, they kind of get, you know, a little bit salty. The Cowboys are never going to be as good, blah, 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 the whole thing. Um, and so this year I was like, listen, you know, the bills, I don't know. Mm. Um, not that I don't know, like, would it be a surprise if they do really good? No, of course not. But it would it be a surprise if they don't reach the expectation that everyone has on them. Mm. I don't think it's as crazy because their schedule now goes from the easiest schedule, uh, per strength of schedule last year. Um, you know, they only played six playoff teams last year and they only won two of those games. Um, and this year they have the highest jump 
um, or second highest jump in strength of schedule from last year to this year. So who knows, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the bills aren't the, the Super Bowl favorite that everyone's making them out to be. But when I said that in the group chat, I got called a salty bias Jeff fan, but uh, <laughs> just something, something to, uh, something to think about there. But, um, you know, cause it, it is tough. Like the AFC is a gauntlet, um, you know, to come out, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. Uh, so I wouldn't put a team like the Ravens way out of the picture if Lamar Jackson comes back and, um, you know, improves any uh, in any form or fashion, you know, coming off of uh, an injury riddled, riddled last year. But, um, you know, and then you really can't count out that Rams roster. That's going to be a, um, a tough roster to uh, to beat for sure. So um, I that's a great question. Now my mind's just turning in a thousand places, but um, <laughs> it's. I'll tell you one thing: it's probably not going to be the Giants after watching uh, whatever I'm watching here. Yeah, right I don't now. think it's going to be the Giants. <laughs> Giants and Jets. I think are safe from the yeah. Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I think. I think. Oh, I don't yeah. know if any. Uh, I don't know if any city area teams are going to be making it. Yeah. No, I don't sir. Think so either, so. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, thanks, James, for jo- for uh, joining us. Yeah. Um, you want to plug anything? Go right ahead. Yeah, no. So I'm, I'm, you know, semi-active on, on Twitter. I took a little bit of time off, but, uh, you know, BSB underscore breakdowns, I'm, you know, on Twitter and, you know, as, as the season goes on here, I'll, I'll be a little bit more active, uh, article wise on, on Jets X factor, but, um, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks for giving me the platform to, to ramble on for, uh, what seems like maybe a little, almost two hours now, maybe uh, a little under that, but, uh, I appreciate the platform and enjoy talking to you guys. And anytime you guys just uh, message me and, more than welcome to come join you cool man thank you very much james we thank really you again james all right anytime about, hey, nice talking to you. <laughs> hey by the way before you leave we're gonna be yeah. there opening day so we might right. we, you know we might meet up and shake hands and you know shoot maybe me, have uh, one. shoot me your uh shoot me your section uh that you're gonna be in and um yeah i'll be there i'm, I'm trying to maybe get to a, a couple more games and between us um, the next day after opening day is my, is my one year wedding anniversary. And so I'm taking my wife to the jet game for our, nice. for our one year. <laughs> That's a good one. She, we're going she, to the jet game. For our yeah. Yeah. She's like, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. Like she knows that she's going, but oh. she thinks, um, <laughs> she thinks, uh, she's kind of like making well, starting this marriage yeah. off very well, James. She's, uh, she's, she's, you know, she's making fun of everyone to me that, you know, she has to spend her one year wedding anniversary at MetLife stadium, but she's never been to a jet game before. So my thought is she's going to walk away a whole heck of a lot happier than, than, uh, than maybe she's going there. Hey, at New York jets, you heard this. You cannot yes. make this man look bad. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and jets give him some VIP treatment. Maybe that'll help out too. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for joining the podcast yep. and we will see you guys next week. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Take care.